Amen. If you have a Bible with you, um, please turn to the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth. We're going to continue our series. If you're new uh, with us, uh, good news. Um, Today's message, we're going to be in chapter two, but really reflecting on much of what was said um, in the past uh, few weeks and in the sermons in chapter one of the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bible, turn to Ruth, this ancient book. Uh, sacred book, um, chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative, her husband's, uh, of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field And glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold... Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant, who was in charge of the reapers, answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping. And go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her the roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some of the bundles for her, 
and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what, was, what had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, this is my seventh year in Kuwait. Um, many years ago, my first year in Kuwait, I wanted to discern whether uh, God had a plan for me uh, in the Middle East. And so I made a one-year commitment with my first school as a, an elementary teacher, and it was a rough year. But one thing that brought some reprieve was traveling. And so at that time, it was very easy to book a flight and go from Kuwait airport, get through immigration, and off to some great adventure. And so uh, I thought it would be a great idea to meet one of my best friends. So he got on his plane. It was his first international flight alone and he met me in Istanbul, Turkey. When we were there, my friend uh, William, he's, <laughs> he's very friendly, very friendly. And I had just, I'd arrived just before him and the lady at the uh, hotel, hostel where we were staying said, be very careful, there are a lot of scammers. And she listed out, watch out for this, 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 and this. So one day, <laughs> William and I are walking through the markets and there's beautiful shops everywhere. And I said, William, I have to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. So William proceeded <laughs> to check off the boxes. Don't do this. William was doing this. Uh, being very friendly to the guys who said, hey, come over here, come over here. So I, I came back and I, I was like, William, okay. We ended up going to a place which was like an underground, it wasn't, super dark, but um, our hands, um, we, we, our, t our time was tied up in this adventure of going under down to this carpet market, carpet, carpet souk. And we were there and they brought out tea and I'd been, mind you, I've been in the Middle East for several months now. So I understood that if someone offers you something kind and nice, it's a wonderful thing, wonderful thing. Start the relationship right off the bat. But I said, William, if you don't intend to buy a carpet, do not take all of this man's time. So we were looking at these carpets worth hundreds, maybe even thousands of KD. I said, William, do you really want to buy this carpet? Well, 
he didn't really want to buy a carpet, but he was thinking about it. <laughs> and one thing that really, we, we were safe, we made it through that, we had some other um, more dangerous situations with William learning how to be wise, and uh, wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove on the streets of Istanbul. Uh, but we were safe. But something that did capture my attention were these beautiful carpets. And when we were there, there were lights shining down, and they took the carpets in such a way and flung them around. And I was like, wow, uh, that would look amazing if I had lights like that in my house. Um, but anyways, the book of Ruth is a bit like a carpet. It, it's a tapestry. There are an incredible threads woven throughout this story. And here we are in the middle of it, uh, if you will, chapter two. And we're picking up with the main characters, Naomi, and then now we're meeting Boaz, um, and the other main character, Ruth. And so in this story, uh, we see something um, quite amazing. Uh, why did God pick just this one little family uh, so sometime maybe 1250 to 1050 BC, thousands of years ago, why did he pick this one family and put it right here for us in scripture in the Bible? Well, one thing God does through scripture is reveal himself and we see patterns and prim principles that we are able to uh, recognize, fabric or threads, if you will. We learn to see God's handwriting and here we see in this book uh, something of the themes emerging in the story. One amazing thing, and uh, the title of the sermon is Providence in the Heart of God. One thing I really want to just show you from what I've seen here is the character and the heart of God in the everyday events of ordinary people. And so if we, if we reflect and think back in chapter 1, um, this story started off with three scenes, if you will. There was this movement from Bethlehem to a place called Moab. So uh, this, this family, this small family, led by a man named Elimelech, who was married to Naomi, they left the land, the land that God had promised his people, a land filled with milk and honey. Now the reason they left is there was a famine. And Chris brought this out that Bethlehem is called the house of bread, if you literally translate it. So they left the house of bread to go take life on their own terms. Go find satisfaction, go find sustenance elsewhere. When they did this, though, um, we see that they're actually breaking much of what God had instructed his people in the Old Testament. It's really helpful for us to look back even further. And so we look at God's promises, God's law in the book of Deuteronomy, and he said something very simple to them. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. Blessings and curses laid out in Deuteronomy um, chapter 28, 27, 28, uh, and elsewhere as well. And so what's actually happening here is this family is turning their back on God's word. Uh, and that was very characteristic of the Judges period. If you go back one book to the book of Judges, the beginning, the big deal was one generation did not teach the law, did not teach Torah, did not teach the, the, the first five books of the Bible to their children. And then they started to, by the end of the book, do what was right in their own eyes. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. But if we listen carefully 
to God in, in Scripture, we'll start to see patterns of grace, p- patterns of providence, um, and, and he'll say, this is the kind of God I am, and this is the kind of things I do. And so there was this movement in scene one from Bethlehem to Moab. Scene two, uh, we, we, we saw here that uh, Naomi's family, her husband died. There's a funeral. And when this happened, um, she decided to stay in the land of Moab. And so she remained there. And inevitably, her two sons marry Moabite women and Um, This is further disobedience, not because it's wrong to marry a foreigner, but it's wrong to mix faiths. So God made it really clear in his law to not intermarry with the people um, that are not in his covenant community. But something we see in the Old Testament, they had no bold type, they had no italics, they had no underline. But one thing the authors of, of Scripture would do is repeat themselves. And so when you start to see a word repeated over and over and over again, this is the focal point. This is the interpretive key. This is the big deal. This is the thing to watch out for. Now, the people who heard this story for the first time probably didn't read it. They would have sat there and listened. And so as they did that, they would hear repetition. And um, I don't know, I travel the same road every day for work, <laughs> and I don't notice anything new. It's just every day is kind of the same. The, the only thing that's new is, is my friend sits next to me and we have new conversations. Uh, sometimes they're review conversations, but um, there's no, nothing new. But if you were to sit beside me and say, hey, look at that, hey, look at that, and point out signposts along the way, that would change what I see in the journey. So I'm hoping we can see fabric, see different threads that are woven throughout this, this uh, book. One of them is a Hebrew word called shov. Um, this word means to return or repent. And if you look at verse 6, this is where a major turning point of chapter 1, sorry, a major t- t- turning point in Naomi's life. She decides, I'm not staying in Moab anymore. I'm returning to the land uh, of bread. I'm lear- returning to Bethlehem. So it says in verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. And so Naomi returns to Bethlehem. That's scene two. And then finally, scene three, and it has several acts, if you will, act one, act two, act three. Um, Scene three is mostly dialogue, and it's in Bethlehem itself. And so we see this key word, though, of return, and it's mentioned uh, nearly ten times. And when you start to look in chapter one, it jumps out everywhere. It's almost like a a word search. I gave one to my seven-year-old, six-year-old students. Find these Thanksgiving words, because we're at an American school. Um, And at first, there's just a bunch of letters everywhere. But then the more they stare at it, the more the words, oh, there's one, highlight it. Oh, there's one, highlight it. So there's a word search for you in your Bible uh, with the Hebrew word, return. Um, But in our English translations, they don't always translate it the same. Sometimes it says return, or to return, or turn back. Um, Another time, brought back. And so verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, verses uh, 
10, 16, 22, this theme of return. And what is it? It's a theme of turning back to God, turning away from our own way, and Naomi turning away from her own way, turning back to God. So sometimes God's purposes, um, actually oftentimes his purposes begin in dark times, begin in dark providences. So instead of, but instead of turning back to the Lord initially, Naomi um, and her sons at the time stayed and they turned their backs on the Lord even further. And we saw that in previous weeks. So why is this so serious? They were turning away from a place of God's promise, away from his blessing, um, the land, the city, the tabernacle, um, the temple uh, would, would all be in this place. It was a place of safety, and they stayed 10 years. So eventually her sons died, uh, and, and it was like, when will this nightmare end? Husband dies, Naomi remains. Sons predictably marry Moabite women, sons die. When will it end? <clears throat> Three funerals later, she feels like the, the, the knife has been stabbed and turned inside of her. But we shall see in this book that God's uh, heart for his people and that um, sore providences God is a God who t- turns pain into surgical healing and, and there's this pattern um, in the Bible and also in the, in the Christian life that pain is never wasted, pain is never wasted if we think about someone like Stephen in the book of Acts uh, at the end of chapter 7 uh, he's there, he looks up to heaven he sees Christ standing and then he's stoned to get death Uh, And he dies, death, pain. But then, one chapter later, there's the man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Stephen died, Saul was given new life and became Paul. And Jesus, the Lord Jesus himself, he died on the cross so that all who come to God through him might have eternal life. So death is not wasted, pain is not wasted, and sometimes we see Wow, what a waste or what a tragedy. There's no purpose, no meaning in that. Well, God doesn't waste pain. And there aren't always simple answers, as Chris was preaching and bringing, um, bringing that to light. <clears throat> but sometimes the pain in our lives, the pain in Naomi's life, is for um, the good and the life of another. And so Naomi went through this pain and hardship And then she has a prayer in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1. But Naomi spoke to her two daughters-in-law. Go return, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. So this is a prayer, and we're left thinking, will God answer this prayer of Naomi's for her daughters-in-law? Well, Naomi repents. Naomi then prays, and she speaks uh, to her two daughters-in-law about the cost of following uh, this God, uh, Yahweh. And then, uh, in chapter 2, our passage today, verse 12 in particular, it says this, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
we saw um, much of this, much of, much of chapter one seems to be about Naomi, but this book is called Ruth. Why is it called Ruth and not Naomi's story? And the reason is because the God of the universe is working in the life of, of a, a young woman named Ruth for his purposes in the world. Another thread, if you will, that emerges through this is God's unfailing love. It's in Hebrew, it's called hesed. And Ruth has begun to experience God's covenant love, even though she's a foreigner. And it's quite amazing because the judges period, the land of Israel uh, at the time, or the people, were in utter chaos. But uh, God's light is shining over in Moab in this small little family. And it's a window for us to see how he is working and works in our lives. So this theme of this thread of hesed, it can be translated and it's, it's mentioned over 250 times in the Old Testament. Um, this word means steadfast love, mercy, loving kindness, faithfulness, grace, covenant favor. And so we are left at the beginning of chapter two to keep an eagle eye on this prayer of Naomi's. Will God answer this prayer? And the answer, uh, will, will he satisfy the needs of these women? We anticipate, yes, he will. Also, in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, it's a bit redundant. We're giving a lot of detail about a man named Boaz. And the Old Testament writers often did this. Again, no bold, bold type, no sections, no arrows. Um, but instead, they give you the interpretive key, uh, if you will. And so when we read verse 1, it says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. When we see that, we're prepared and we need to keep our eye on this man, Boaz. Could he be part or the answer to Naomi's prayer? We see in this... Um, in this book, that the God of the Old Testament, he is the God of the New Testament as well, who gives abundantly more than we could ever ask for or imagine. And how does God work in human history? Well, in one sense, we can look at the news lines, uh, the headlines, and we can see a human point of view about stories and events that happen in our world and in our lives. But there's also the divine point of view and that's what we get when we come to the Bible. I always say that the Bible is a book like no other. When I read this, it's so utterly different than, than anything else I could read. And it's because we meet the God of creation, the God who made us, and the God who has given us uh, redemption and, and love. And uh, every good gift, it says in Scripture, comes from him. And uh, James tells the, the early Christians, if, if the book of James was the first book written of the New Testament. He told them, do not be deceived. <laughs> Every good gift. So if you experience family and community, that's from God. Uh, that ultimately comes from him. Everything good comes from God. So we too are involved in a drama of God's unfolding purposes, but we are like the characters in these, this story. We're like Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz in that we don't understand with absolute certainty what is going on. We just live it out from Monday to Tuesday to Friday. Here we are. So frequently we cannot see. We don't know what God is doing. 
but God gives us a window and he gives us insight through his word. And we're told in the Bible what kind of God he is and the ways in which he works. And we begin to see the threads of the scriptures applied to our own life stories. God sheds light on the darkness in our lives. And we see this beautiful plan of redemption. So the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob that we read about is also our God, and he works in the lives of ordinary people. So chapter 2 is scene 3, if you will. Act 1, Ruth gleans. What does she do? She works. Um, Ruth works, and at the same time, she has the Lord's favor on her life. We see that God's heart for the poor in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, tells us this, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field, but go um, leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. So God cares about the poor and he made provision for the poor. And here is a very poor woman, Ruth. She probably had nothing more than the clothes on her back making this long journey to a foreign land. And remember, she said, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And what's that about? It, 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 it sounds like Chris was preaching the other day. It sounds like marriage language, like I am clinging to you for life. And that's what we're intended to think of. But we don't normally associate that with our mother-in-law. But it's more than human devotion. Ruth is saying, don't send me away. I am one of God's people. I am a convert. I have become a follower of this God. I'm not going anywhere else. And so she leaves her home and everything she knew in Moab. And she's known as the Moabite for the rest uh, here. But she goes to be with God's people. If you look at verse 3 here, uh, and, and imagine sitting around a campfire. I don't know if you do that in your culture, but we, that's like a romantic thought. It, well, not romantic, but it's a cool thought for like a boy, man, sit around a fire. Um, imagine this. You hear this verse in uh, verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, the author of the book of Ruth does not believe in coincidences. She just happened to, happened to show up in this field of a man called Boaz, who happens to be a relative of Naomi's um, deceased husband. So um, there's probably a smile on the, the listener's face when it's just she happened to show up in this right place at the right time. But God is working in this ordinary life, and we see this persistence and this resilience in Ruth. We see that she's a true follower of the living God. And so in verses 8 and 9, we get hints of a deeper, more lasting supply of love. Uh, verses 8 and 9 says here, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. So there's bread, there's wine in verses 14 and 16. Um, and there's this discreet display of affection. And uh, a friend uh, brought to mind, you know, is this, is he, uh, is this a budding romance? Um, well, the author, I think the author intends for us to, to have this question in mind. Like, is a marriage coming? Like, well, let's wait and see. Well, verses 17 and 18 
we see that Ruth is satisfied with abundance. She has a feast, and then she's sent away, it says with uh, about an ephah of barley. So that translates to about 13.6 kilos. I, I did the math today. Thank you, Siri. But 13.6 uh, kilos, when's the last time you've carried 13 kilos uh, of anything without a shopping cart? But she carried it all the way home. Um, I have a funny story. My first year in Kuwait, the first time I bought water, I, I was like, I want this brand of water. It's the best. So I went to Salmia, uh, like 20 kilometers away from my home. And I, I took the bus at this time. And I bought a big case. So I had 12 things of water. And I got on the bus carrying my case. I went all the way home. It was over uh, 30 degrees outside, walking through the desert sands with my case of water. Got back to my apartment, only to find there's a bacala across the street that has the same water. <laughs> so um, I can relate to, to Ruth. She carried a lot of barley. I carried a lot of water. But it wasn't in vain. It was for good reason. So I can tell new, new arrivals to, to Kuwait, you can get water here or here, anywhere. Um, so Ruth, um, Ruth doesn't know what's going on. Um, and Naomi starts to pick up on some of these, these clues. She sees a fabric. Oh, wow, here's God's kindness. And this is another word that's all over the book of Ruth. God's hesed, his kindness, his love. And as you uh, reread this, you'll see it everywhere. And she is surprised when Boaz comes to her with such favor. And she says, well, why are you treating me this way? I'm just a foreigner. And he says, well, I've heard all about you. Uh, there was a big stir in the city. I've heard the gossip. I know that you uh, have taken care of Naomi after the death of your husband. He knows everything about her. And he says a really interesting phrase. You've taken refuge, refuge um, under the wings of the living God. You've come to be under his wing. And so he shows her kindness. We see the love of God in Ruth's life through this, her ordinary life. We see it through Boaz. We see the heart of God in Boaz. But God is working behind the scenes, if you will, or um, directing the, the scenes of this story as well. Exodus 34 says this of God. As he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. God is a God who keeps his word. He's absolutely loyal. He is faithful and his faithfulness at any cost. He is deep in his goodness and ex expressed in his covenant commitment. Um, so what will happen in the story? And why will it happen in this story? What will happen is we will see the living God work in an ordinary family. And we see that, you know, there's so many layers. There's so many fabrics, if you will, um, threads. Um, look at Ruth and her character, uh, gentleness, quiet spirit, peace, uh, peace uh, peaceful person. Um, she's meek and a diligent worker. These are all prized qualities that are uh, in uh, Proverbs 31, if you will. And we also see the character of Boaz. He's a God-centered man. When he meets his foreman in the field, he greets them with a covenant name of God. And it's not just a mere 
formality, he says, the Lord, bless, uh, the Lord be with you. Um, the Lord bless you, uh, they reply. So he's a man who's God-centered. He's a man who is doing his duty. He's gracious and patient, uh, but he also protects and he provides in abundance. So why will this happen? It's because God um, so loved the world uh, that he gave and um, he gave his one and only son. That is the heart of God. Uh, the same God in the Old Testament is the same one we, we know and is here with us today. So let's pray. Father, we look to you uh, with, with thanks. Thank you that you work um, in beautiful ways, uh, one thread at a time, weaving together uh, beautiful tapestry in the fabrics of ordinary people's lives. Uh, that's the case for us as well. We don't understand uh, sad providences. We don't understand pain and suffering. Uh, we can't weave it all together with the good things that happen in our lives, the things that are pleasant, but you are the God who works um, as we wait and as we trust. And so we ask, Father, that you would uh, strengthen our faith, help us to see, give us eyes to see more of you um, as we look at our own lives, uh, perhaps as we look at our lives backwards and reflect on what you've done for us this past year or this past season um, or for our entire lives up to this point. Would you work in your uh, loving ways, your faithful ways, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you please rise? Um, I'll give you a, a, benediction, a benediction, just a good word um, from God for you. This comes from Hosea chapter 14 and also Psalm 91. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler.